and oh, welcome. Hello. Oh my god, hi. hi. Uh, welcome to the, the first socially distanced episode of Teen Spirit. Uh, I'm Bailey Bennett. I'm Grant Jacoby. Uh, we are coming at you from two separate apartments, from many separate devices. Yes, we are. Um, we have a, a whole setup going right now. We have video mm-hmm. on, on one end and like we can see each other and wow, do we look stunning. Um, yeah. yeah. When was the last time you showered, Bailey? I actually just showered, but oh, before well, that it, it had been a couple of days. No. Yeah, um, I, showered, I showered yesterday. That's that's fine. Yeah, um, I'm on a, I'm on a nice every other day schedule. Yes, same. Um, it's working really nicely for it's just working nicely for me. That's great, and that's what needs to be done. Um, you know, you might be asking yourself, "Oh, are you guys back?" And it's a great question because you know <laughs> what a couple of months it's been. I feel like we probably don't need to to get into too much coronavirus conversation right now uh just because you guys you get it uh you, you probably do. heard it from actually every source in your life for the past two plus months but um mm-hmm. yeah i think that when we um parted ways months ago i think maybe we thought like it would be a couple of weeks off from recording before we could like see each other in person again and um as it turns out that's actually not going to happen. So we kind of (laughs) put our heads together and uh, figured out a way that we could record remotely. And I just want to give a a little preface that the audio quality might not be exactly what you're used to from this podcast, but we're really working with what we've got. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're just trying this out and we're going to kind of see how it goes. Yeah. Just a little experiment. Um, But you know, once you hit month two of not Mm -hmm. leaving your own apartment, you start realizing, you know what? Maybe it's time to re- rethink ways of getting back in the game. Right, exactly. But also I felt still not not leaving. Not, like not really at all. But yeah, my, my brain feels alive all of a sudden at the prospect oh, yeah. of talking to you on this podcast. So This is also the first time that I, I love that I can see you, but it's also the first time that I can actually see myself while we're talking. So mm-hmm. I need to um, figure out how to just not look at myself because... yeah. Oh, I'm doing the same thing. And I, the angle that I am serving to Grant oh, right same. now absolutely could not be worse. It's mostly yeah, chin. Yep. Um, we both really wanted to go for that, like, under angle, yeah. updo look, just right up, right up the nose. Yeah. Chin's out. Sun's out. Chin's out. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know, Grant, do you want to talk about, like, what we're doing here today? Yeah, so we we were tra- we were thinking of like, in case this whole re- you know remote recording doesn't end up working out, or just you know we can't bring it to you in the same format. We're okay. Like, what is something we could talk off about, or sorry, talk about in like a one-off situation that would be fun and applicable, and something that you at home and your whole family can enjoy? And uh-huh. naturally, that just came up to the greatest film released. Yes. Of all time. And it's, right. it's a little bit past the threshold of the films we have been talking about, but right up, right up at the, right up at yeah. the end of the threshold, you know? Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about, um, the 2010 Academy award winning, mm-hmm. like swept every single Academy award. Yes. Every, just really every award in general. Yeah. Um, Best picture winner for sure. 
Actually, um, it was three nominated for three Golden Globes, which is hilarious. Okay, and we can't. And honestly, uh, we can't forget that, and we can't silence that. So, and the film is uh, burlesque. <laughs> the film is burlesque. Hold on, I, there, while I'm thinking about, there was in some of my brief, as always, brief research about mm-hmm. some trivia and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I found out um, that not only was it nominated for three Golden Globes, but um, in 2011, Christina Aguilera won the MSN Entertainment Award for Best Attempt at Acting. I, and I mean, let's celebrate she, that. You know what? Hello. Let's celebrate that attempt because yes. an attempt it was. You, no one Many could things say, were attempted. Yes. No one could say that an, an attempt was not made. You know, um, attempts made left and right. Um, Ooh, east, west, wow. up, down, inside, outside. <sighs> Wagon wheel. Uh-oh. On the, on the ground. In the air rights. Okay, so, you know, <laughs> truly, truly, where to even begin with this film? Um, we have to remember how to record this podcast. And I believe yep. that normally we would start by talking about our experience, our history, our emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And no emotional connection is greater than ours to this film. So if you could start, Grant. Ooh, so, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, brag. Right. But I did, my first exposure to this film was uh, Thanksgiving Day. Yes. 2010, a.k.a. the day that the film was released. And a day to be thankful for. Yes, the, the greatest thanks that were given were to mm-hmm. me sitting in that opening night screening of Burlesque. Um, and... I'm so proud of you for that. Let me just say. Yeah, I'm really proud of myself too. My ex and I went. Um, it was a real, real gay affair to leave our respective uh, Thanksgiving dinner tables and yes. drive out to the Framingham, Massachusetts AMC. It probably would have had to have been like a 9 p.m. screening. Mm-hmm. I remember the theater was very empty. Shocking, I would say. Um, but my life was changed. Of course. I, I'm trying to even remember, like, I don't, I don't even, we, there must have been some, obviously an ad campaign that like really hooked us and made us be like, we, not only do we have to see this film in theaters, we have to see right. it on opening night, but. Yeah. I, that is, <laughs> honestly, yeah, I, I can't say that I had such an origin story with this movie. I would even venture to say that you might have been the person who introduced me to this movie. That would check out. Um, Yeah, because I can't remember my very first experience with it, but I know I'm pretty sure that it was us watching it together in college in one of our dorm rooms. And then my eyes kind of being opened to everything that life could be. um, Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks to burlesque. And since then, I've I've watched it, you know, multiple more times. I know you've watched it. You watched it very recently on your birthday, but I did. Yeah, like, <laughs> a I gift. A, well, it's 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 a true. Well, it's a true gift, but it's it's the perfect kind of movie that, as we will discuss in greater detail later, that is somehow in and not in on the joke. Well, well, let's yeah. be clear. I think everyone yes. was in on the joke except for Christina Aguilera. Yes. Um, but it just like, it just hits so many types of quota. If like you want to, you are looking to watch a movie in general, you want yes. that movie to be a musical. You want that musical to have a lot of, a lot of women. It certainly checks the box of being a movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I, I guess like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking around the fact that it's, it's uh, obviously it's a movie that is so bad that it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to give it a little bit more respect. <laughs> of course, as you should. Um, and yes, it's definitely a film that has developed a real cult following. I think it kind of follows in the footsteps of a showgirls, you know, mm-hmm. a very, a very similar film in the way that it felt like everyone on set of that film knew they were in on the joke, except for the, the lead of that movie. And, you know, similarly a blonde kind of showgirl experience. Um, I would also argue that p- potentially the writer director of burlesque potentially was not really in on that joke. And I, I actually think no. he thought he was making something really beautiful. And he I think, did. I think, <laughs> I think that what they were going for was like a star is born sort right. of vibe. I think that it was like, okay, like this is going to be, or even, or even like a dream girls sort of like, yep. take us a popular music star, pop star, mm-hmm. turn him into a big screen phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And boy, right. did, boy, did he ever. He really did. Um, and that director, of course, is n- no other than Steve Anton. I mean, you guys you guys know him for sure. Definitely someone who's gone on to make um, other films such as two Pussycat Dolls music videos, um, <laughs> as well as... Um, uh, uh, he did, I, I believe, also create a very short-lived um, eight-episode Dawson's Creek spinoff TV series from the year 2000 called Young Americans, which mm. I have in fact seen. All oh, of. really? Oh. I mean, it's not impressive to say I've seen all the series because, again, it is eight episodes long I- and stars Kate Bosworth. Um, oh, wow. So, very interesting. Uh, you know, it allegedly in my research, I found that um, Diablo Cody, I guess, revised the script uncredited, which is, wow. is surprising. But I think we can probably say there was only so much that our girl could do at that point, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, throw that band-aid right on that bullet wound and you're like, OK. Yep. You, you do what you can. Um, and we just kind of forge on um, just to get us started. If you want if you had to guess what the budget of this movie was. I feel like I know because I saw it mm-hmm. at some point okay. in my again brief research but it was it was definitely a lot higher than i thought it was good i want to say it's like what 20 mil it was 55 million okay never mind yeah okay so this insane so the budget of this film actually 55 million dollars um where did that money come from how do they think they were going to recoup that don't so yeah the box office they actually made 90.6 million which at first glance you might be like that's good but Hmm. in terms of like movie box offices if you're not making more than double what your budget was you're basically not even breaking even normally in terms of like just because of like distribution fees and marketing and things like that that often aren't added on to the original budget so okay that that's i've always wondered that because there have been a couple films i feel like that have been considered flops and then i've like looked at their budgets or whatever because i'm a freak like that and i've been like oh like they recouped their budget but i always assumed that marketing was included in that budget but i guess not I, I, as far as I know, usually not. So as far the, the metric that I've always heard is like, it need they need to make at least double, which this film mm. did not get there. And you know what though? It did what it could. Um, it sure did something. And like we said, I think since being actually in theaters, this film has developed a following 
completely oh, yeah. of its own. And this will, this is, this film has a legacy for sure. Well, yeah. I remember when it came out, it was just like trashed, just like absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was just like, this is the worst movie ever made. And mm-hmm. then slowly but surely, people started to actually pay attention. Right. They opened their to eyes. To its greatness. Yeah. They finally yes. were like, oh, mm-hmm. I get it. Speaking of that, the IMDb rating for this movie is actually a 6.4 out of 10, which I would say, oh. like, you know what? Good for you, Burlesque. That could yeah, be you, worse. It certainly could be. Um, and then the Rotten Tomatoes score, sorry to say, actually a 36% critic score, but a 64% audience score again. So the audience is like, you know what? I don't mind it. A resounding, they don't mind it. So, you know. Um, just for com- just for comparison, because I feel like there are going to be a lot of Stars Born comparisons. Um, yeah. Also to the fact that the lead in leads in burlesque are named Jack and Allie and the leads in a star is born. At least the Lady Gaga version are Jack and Allie. Wow. Um, but the budget for the 20, was it 2018 a star is born? Mm-hmm. The budget was 36 million. So a cool 20 million. Me? Nope. Oh. Oh. And, Oh, and it recouped, it recouped its um, budget in the first weekend. It went on to make 215 million mm-hmm. just domestically. So, Okay, so a little bit of a dif- a disparity there. <laughs> like, <laughs> a little different. So, okay. So, again, I mean, I think we'll, we'll have to get into this, but, like, we're going to have to talk about, like, what, what were the aspects of this film that actually drove that budget up to $55 million? And I might say the cast. Yes. Okay, so they... we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the cast for a second because it's one of those, it's one of those films where it's not like watching a movie from like, um, like the like eighties or nineties where you're like, Oh wow. Like all these like people that were in this movie, like ended up becoming famous in their own right. You know, you're not yep. watching like a, like a Brad pack sort of situation. It's more like, sure. Oh, they truly were like, let's see who we can get. Who is like, could be the most famous person to take the exact size role that was, yep. this was written for. Yep. And let's get them. There isn't, there is barely a, soul in this film that when they appear on screen you're not like i know exactly who that is yeah it's i know like, i know their first name their last name what i've seen them in yes how many things i've seen them in like i, I was literally was trying to go through and like write down like as we usually kind of wrap up talking about like the where are they now with the cast and then i was just like i'm not gonna fucking bother with this movie because literally everyone knows what every person in this movie has ever been in exactly and i mean i have to assume a sizable amount of this budget went to share and share will own. Um, I think that Christina Aguilera probably did this for basically free. She was like, this mm-hmm. is my moment. And Cher was like, I will not get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. So. Yeah, <laughs> truly. I, I think that that would completely check out. So while we're talking about the cast, let me just, for those of you that are actually sitting at home being like, can you please shut up and actually say like, who is like, this movie? Yeah, like, I don't know what is. is this movie? Yeah. <laughs> so we have, as we said, we have Cher and Christina Aguilera kind of co-leading Mm-hmm. this masterpiece. Um, as, as, the, as the tagline says, it actually takes a legend to make a star. Um, wow. So Cher Stunning. is actually the legend and Christina actually the, the star um, being born here. I, I, I only see legends. Right. Then second tier down, we've got a slew of supporting casts. We mm-hmm. have Kristen Bell as mm-hmm. the villain, one of the villains, mm-hmm. which is just like, drunk and brunette for some reason. I feel like they truly were like, okay, Kristen Bell, we need to give you a brunette wig because we can't have you get confused 
with um, Christina Aguilera and for some reason also Julianne Huff is also a brunette. I feel like they were like, yeah. if anyone is a blonde in any vicinity, they have to be wearing a brown wig. Yeah, I would actually, I would like to ask who did Kristen Bell owe money to and how did they blackmail her in this way um, is actually my question. I, I'm truly flabbergasted because this was, this came out like, kind. I mean, Kristen Bell has always been pretty relevant, but she's had a couple like boosts right. in her career. And I'm, let's, let's, let's figure this out. So obviously this was post Veronica Mars, Kristen Bell. Right. And, and this pre, was like, pre, pre-Frozen and pre um, like good place. Of course. But this is like right around the same time. I want to say she had just done. Um, oh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I believe. So yeah, this is, this is post Forgetting. That was yeah. 2008. So this is post okay. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, um, which I feel like was also a kind of a little boost. She did that movie Couples Retreat. She did like a couple like romantic comedies that didn't really go anywhere. Like I'm just looking right now, uh, like When in Rome, um, You Again. Mm-hmm. So she was like, she was headlining movies at this time. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's it was a weird flex. Like she didn't, Unless this was film was like weirdly filmed like before all of those, it just doesn't really think yeah. she needed to do it. And she is also, sorry, and then I'll finish my Kristen Bell rant, is that she's also mm-hmm. a like classically trained vocalist who like went to college for musical theater at NYU and for some reason is taking a role in a movie musical where she only lip syncs to Megan Mullally. Actually, really good point. That's actually a really fantastic point. <laughs> like, it, it, like, I would, I would understand if, like, if she had like a big song number, but literally, she just like is drunk and a bitch, just like in like random ninety seconds matterings throughout the film. Yeah, I would have said like maybe this this is a case of of like um, a really likable actress like purposely taking like a more villain type role just to show that they can do something else. But I would argue that she already did that in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which yeah. is a, and Forgetting Sarah Marshall is a really funny, really good movie that still holds up, and she's like a total bitch in that as well. So yeah. it's really hard. It's really hard to understand. Um, but super, super hard to understand. Yeah. And I also like I say I did see something that. Apparently, Lindsay Lohan was originally a p- point of interest for that character, which I feel like would make a lot more sense in terms of just yep. like the, the schlockiness. Yeah, she absolutely would have done it real justice, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, aside from Kristen Bell, we also have, as I mentioned, Julian Huff, Eric Dane, who is known as um, Mick Steamy on Grey's Anatomy and is currently on Euphoria. We got Cam, I'm not even going to. Yeah, dig into gone. It. I was going to say, like, Gigande. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's he's done a bunch of shit. He's in Easy A and a bunch of other stuff. Twilight. Alan Cumming, um, Peter Gallagher. So really just rounding out those, like, really strong character actors with very strong features and eyebrows. Yes. We have Stanley Tucci just reprising his role from The Devil Wears Prada. Yep. And we have um, Diana Agron in all of literally one scene. Truly. I mean, it's... It's actually shocking. I also, oh, I, I wanted to point out that, um, okay, where do I have this written down? The guy who plays the the owner of the condo building that they speak to at the end of the film, that man is James Brolin, aka Josh Brolin's father, married to Barbara Streisand. Okay, some they, cast, some casting director was like, "I am putting it absolutely all on the table." Yeah, so it was just like, this movie is not gay enough and needs to be gayer. We need to have yes. a Barbara Streisand connection. 
Because Sharon Christina Aguilera and Kristen Bell was not gay enough. And Alan Cumming. gay enough. And Stanley Tucci um, playing a gay man again. Yes. Oh, like literal queer do? bait. Um, <laughs> so, well, okay. So we can get into all of that even more. I, sorry, I've been talking a lot, but I do think that I should attempt to summarize this film because again, oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm just assuming that every person in our audience has seen this, but I, I think that I may like not I, be the case. I feel like that may not be the case, but if you haven't seen it, it is on Netflix. Do yourself a favor. It's kind of long. It's like it oddly like two hours. Grant, Grant, I sat down to watch the movie and then my lifetime passed before my eyes. I could not believe how long the movie was, but it's very long. <laughs> it, it's so worth it. Yeah. Again, it, it's streaming on Netflix right now. So check it out. But okay. So, you know, how to even describe the plot of something like burlesque? Um, I think it's it's kind of one of those films where it's like you need to let, just like kind of let it wash over you uh, rather than really thinking about like the particular events that are occurring. Because once I sat down to actually like put a linear plot summary together, I would actually mm. say that it, it crumbled a little bit before my eyes. But you can't overthink it. You got to just can't. let it happen to you. Right. But um, here here is what actually happens. Yes. So we open on Allie Rose, who is obviously played by Christina Aguilera in a full blonde wig that I would say weighs no less than 30 pounds on its own. Um, we and can that, talk about do, the wigs. Go okay. ahead. I know. I, I just really want to talk about the wigs, but we can come back to it. Yes. When we talk about fashion, I would say that's mostly what I want to talk about is the wigs. Um, so, Allie is a really talented singer and dancer, and you know that because she does put on a full performance in the empty bar that she works in for truly no reason. Um, she's working at a bar in a small town in Iowa and very abruptly decides that she's going to leave and move to Los Angeles. Truly, this happens within the first 90 seconds of the movie. We are in. There's no turning back, no wasting time. Um, she takes the paycheck that is rightly owed to her, and she grabs a bus to L.A., where she quickly finds a room to rent and she starts going on auditions use, using uh, nothing other than a newspaper that she is carrying around with her uh, on the street. She loves that newspaper. It is 2010. She could actually use the internet, but not our girl. Um, she quickly realizes that making it in this business is not going to be as easy as she thought. But then she stumbles across a burlesque bar after a long day of disappointment, and she's greeted by Alan Cummings at the door, whose character's name is allegedly Alexis, says Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, says apparently the screenwriter. It is never mentioned in the movie, I don't think. I mean, and if I it don't is, think it's very like, hey, over there, do this. Yes, I don't think we can stress enough how criminally underutilized Alan Cummings is in this film. It's a singular coming, by the way. Did Just I say one. Cummings? Mm-hmm. Sorry, Alan Cumming. Uh, criminally <laughs> um, under... <laughs> well, that's why I also wonder. I feel like certain actors like Alan Cumming and oddly Diana Agron must m- maybe had some leverage in her like glee days to be like, I would like to be paid um, at least 10% of the budget for this film to appear in less than 10% of said film. I feel like Absolutely. Alan Cumming, there was like, like, you can pay me a million dollars, but I will show up to set for 72 hours. Right. Well, I, th- I feel like they honestly hired Alan Cummings so that this film would have burlesque credibility, but it just didn't get there. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I mean, um, I, I, am, I am no expert on the actual craft of, of burlesque dancing, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I think it's safe to say that a lot of what is shown in this film is not accurate. Right. Yeah, I, I would preface this and say that as we are making fun of or poking fun at the film burlesque, we are not making fun of people who actually choose burlesque dancing as a profession. We are compl- 100% on board with you to do whatever you feel you want to do with yourself oh, yeah. I've and seen, your body. I've seen some awesome burlesque shows, actually. Yeah, and, same. Uh, this was not one of them. No, I actually went to the... The actual Moulin Rouge in Paris uh, when oh, I was Danielle. in high school. Yes, with my oh, in high school. Oh, oh my god! Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of pieces to that story. Yeah, my grandparents took my sister and I on a trip to Paris as a gift, and we all went to the Moulin Rouge together and saw some women completely topless. Um, and That's we loved awesome. it. That's yeah. awesome. That's so <laughs> great. So, anyway, so. Uh, we're we're going to get through this summary. Um, Allie stumbles into this burlesque bar. She runs into this character, Alexis, and she makes her way into the bar. She catches Tess, a.k.a. Cher, performing on stage with the burlesque girls. And Allie is immediately just mesmerized by the performance and decides to chat with the bartender, Jack, who's played by Cam Dejante, Dejande Gigande. Uh, about the possibility of getting a job there. He immediately gives her Tess's name and tells Allie where to find her. So she quickly makes her way backstage during actually the middle of this performance. Um, And she meets both Tess and Sean, who is played by Stanley Tucci, um, as they await the late arrival of their star dancer, Nikki, who is, I've written here, played by a tragically brunette Kristen Bell. Um, Allie is ushered out by Tess and Sean, but instead of leaving, she just picks up a tray and starts waitressing, which really impresses Jack, Tess, and Sean enough to let her have the waitressing job. Um, Allie quickly strikes up a friendship with Jack, and after her apartment is inexplicably ransacked, um, she moves in with him, despite the fact that he does have a fiancé, a.k.a. Diana Agron, who is away in New York as an actress. So when one of the dancers, Georgia, who is played again by a tragically brunette, Julianne Hoff, um, gets pregnant, auditions are held to replace her. And Allie really just gets on stage and insists to Tess that she knows every number, having observed the girls while working in the bar. And after a simply stunning rendition of Wagon Wheel Watusi, Tess and Sean agree to let her join the dancers and begin to take a liking to her. Nikki is incredibly annoyed by this development, but she's often drunk and unreliable, meaning that Allie soon has to take her place on stage one night. Attempting to sabotage her, Nikki turns off the music while Allie is on stage, but Allie has a plan, and she just starts (laughs) belting her face off, and she blows away. She sure does. (laughs) She blows everyone away with her soulful vocals, Nikki's plan completely backfires as Tess is so impressed with her voice that she just builds the entire show around Allie. <laughs> um, and as one does. The, right. For the first time ever, they are now performing live vocals um, at this burlesque bar, which is, this is something we can also like talk about later, but there, it is interesting th- to think about like, are the patrons of a burlesque show, are they coming to see 
this woman kind of just like sit on a piano and sing like an emotional love song or are they actually coming for like some tits and ass? There's a lot unclear on, on who the patrons of this club yes. are, mm-hmm. how it's like seemingly full in most scenes, but then they're like struggling for money. Yes. There, really there's struggling. definitely some, some plot holes in regards to what this actual club is. And is it, I mean, you're not really coming to this film for realism, but. I mean, speak for yourself, but. <laughs> so, uh, Allie quickly rises to become the star of the burlesque club. And, uh, but the increased business isn't enough to help Tess save the bar, as we're just discussing. Uh, because, side note that I didn't mention at all, um, the the burlesque club is almost bankrupt and Tessa's ex-husband Vince, who's played by Peter Gallagher owns half the club and is trying to get her to sell out to Marcus. Who's played by Eric Dane um, because he wants to erect this like 20 story building in place of the burlesque bar. And again, just truly the sheer amount of like attractive, famous and talented men who somehow made their way into this film is shocking. Um, and just like, <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, on the side, Peter Gallagher and Eric Dane are kind of just, like, playing minor roles. Yeah. So Tess, Tess is distraught at the prospect of losing the club. Um, and she stays behind one night after closing to sing an emotional, you haven't seen the last of me. Uh, but Mickey shows up drunk to pick a fight, and the two argue in the parking lot. Tess eventually hits Nikki's car with a crowbar, and the two have a falling out despite their years of friendship. I guess. Um, yeah. It, the, them having a falling out was like, I was very confused. I was like, do you guys like each other? It's, it's so hard to say. Um, meanwhile, Allie is torn between Jack, who is starting to develop feelings for her as being, and being urged on by Sean, AKA Stanley 2G. Um, but then she's also being torn with the, the rich real estate mogul Marcus, who is attempting to woo her by taking her to these various parties, giving her all these gifts. And he takes her to one party at his lavish home and explains how he's been able to maintain his perfect view of LA by actually buying the space above the buildings in front of him to ensure that no one could build up to a certain height, AKA air rights. But babe, we'll come back to that. We sure um, will. Sorry, yeah. this is, again, this movie is so long. We're getting to the end, kind of. At George's wedding, Jack has a fight with his fiance over the phone, and they allegedly break things off. He and Allie sleep together that night and begin a quick courtship, but that is cut short when his fiance, Diana Agron, shows up unexpectedly. Allie is heartbroken that Jack wasn't entirely truthful about his situation and goes to find Sean, who has had a one night stand of his own after sleeping with the hot DJ from the wedding. Who's played by David Walton. Um, Sean sees that opportunities like this just don't come along often enough. And he invites the DJ to stay for breakfast. I love when they like really had the time to just like, we're like, okay, we kind of need like a real quick, like one night stand turns into um, Mm -hmm. a potential romance plot line. Right. We needed it. There was not enough going on in this movie. No. Um, so Allie tries to convince 
Marcus to help them out with the club, but she sees that his only real desires are to build the skyscraper that he wants, and he just cares about his business ventures. So she goes to Tess, and she tells her everything that she knows about, again, air rights, eventually convincing the owner of the condo building next door to buy the air rights above the burlesque club to ensure that his condos can keep their views, which means that Eric Dane's character can't build his skyscraper. So this and, and Tess, for some reason, gets all the money from this condo owner. He also could have paid Marcus to not buy the building, but that's not something that we talk about. Um, but this allows Tess to buy out events and save the club with the help of Allie. Nikki apologizes for her actions and is allowed to return home to the club. Jack and Allie make up in the dressing room with Jack realizing he never should have taken Allie for granted. He reveals that he has finally finished a song. I know I literally never mentioned that he was a songwriter on the side, but he is. And he wants Allie to sing it. And then it's a very special song. A very special song. We cut to the beautiful song that Jack has written for the love of his life, Allie, a.k.a. Get Your Ass Up, Show Me How You Burlesque. Um, I I love... uh, It's a a real cherry on top in mm -hmm. this finale because it... I don't think I know a single person who has watched this film and you could have like literally, you could talk about the movie for like all of five seconds. You have to be like, Oh, can we talk about how the fact that that was the song he wrote for her? Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, oh. it's so, mm-hmm. I mean, only burlesque could do it like that. You know? Um, yeah. You, you really feel like he's like, I've finally written a song. I feel like it's really good. Like it's come straight from my soul. And like, I've written it mm-hmm. for you. Like I want like you to sing only it. Only you can sing it. And you think it's going to be like some like tearful, emotional love ballad. And then truly it is the finale number. Every girl in the club is present. They're all wearing, I would, I don't know, like gold and silver flapper dresses. There is Mm -hmm. a giant, okay, here's part where part of the budget came from. The giant light up (laughs) burlesque letters that are just across the entire stage. There's like Kristen Bell's like dancing on a table and they are getting their ass up to show us how they burlesque. And that is the song he's written mm-hmm. for Allie. A true, a true sign of love. So, I mean, that's the movie. <laughs> that, that is what, the movie. How do you, like, I don't even know how you start talking about this movie. And by start, I mean, we've literally been talking about it for like 40 minutes already. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we can talk through some of our, our categories for this, we already talked about the casting a lot. There's oh yeah, whoops, we, I thought that came first. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. I mean, we <laughs> have to give it truly an A plus. Like yeah, there's no way around it. It. I really, I want to know more about how this movie was made because, like, truly, how what favors did they call in? How did they get these people? How did they get Cher? <laughs> well, especially because it's not like Cher is like doing a whole lot of anything she's no. very she's definitely older i mean this was 10 years ago but she's she was pretty like retired by this point um right and like since the only other movie she's done is uh mama mia here we go again another film unclear mm-hmm. how she got roped into that but at least that was a cameo right this exactly. was like a full like lead i i want to say it was like had been her first movie in like seven or eight years so they must have really enticed her with either a very very large paycheck Mm-hmm. Or, or she thought it was she, yeah. Some is she a some producer pitch. on the movie? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. I don't know. Yeah, because well, what, like you were saying, like 
it is it's very surprising that Kristen Bell she was doesn't not a have, producer. Okay, so interesting. Um, yeah, Kristen Bell doesn't have a number in this movie. Cher does have one, so I'm sure that that was kind of like. I wonder if that was a stipulation of her contract or if they had to absolutely force her into doing <laughs> her own musical number in this. She is in the original Welcome to Burlesque. And then, of course, in You Haven't Seen the Last of Me. The soundtrack in general. Oh, the, the soundtrack is very good. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's very over the top. And it's like every song is like an 11 o'clock number. And every song like has like, like doesn't actually fit in the plot of the story. And yet they're like, we're yes. going to make it work. Yes. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really showcased for Christina Aguilera. And at this point in her career, like she hadn't had a hit in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think she thought this was going to be like yeah, her way back into like the pop mainstream by like, starring in a film. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. We had Crossroads starring Britney Spears. We had Glitter right. starring Mariah Carey. Of course. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, we love them for it. We appreciate them for it. We definitely will have to cover both Crossroads, especially and Glitter, on this podcast. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think I. I do think that like most of the budget went into the cast. I think that yeah. it was. Well, what do you? I think mean? that I think they thought the cast would be like the big driving force of getting yeah. people to the theaters. And it probably was. Oh yeah. I mean, why else would you see this? What? How? What do you actually think of? Christina Aguilera's performance in this separating it from the fact that she is Christina Aguilera and this was an absurd you know kind of move in her life like acting wise performance wise well her character is pretty insufferable yes she's so she does that it's hard to separate mm-hmm. in a role like this it's like okay like do you watch me like wow you're kind of really good at being a brat or if you're like oh you're just kind of bad right I say it's it's not the worst acting I've seen, but it's mm-hmm. not good. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Right. I, yeah, I would say I would say her acting is definitely not great. I would say she this role does let her showcase a lot of what she can do, and mm-hmm. I don't think you can you can't deny like she's she commands the stage like she well, is a good a really good dancer as well, and her vocals are. truly insane like Like bone chilling well that's the thing is that if you were to center a film around any like any vocalist especially at that time like it it makes a whole lot of sense Mm -hmm. um like i I don't know like i'm just thinking like like someone like beyonce who has dabbled in acting like not a terrific actress but like her voice like she's fine but yeah, yeah, she's good in Dreamgirls, but like everything else, it's like, Ugh. but yeah. the thing that makes Dream, but her role in Dreamgirls works because she's such a strong singer that you remember yes. her vocals in that movie. And I think yes. similar with Burlesque, you remember Christina's vocals because they're really out of this world. I mean, some of the vocal runs she does and is, especially in the finale, is extremely impressive. Yes. Um, I mean, and we can't. <laughs> the film just isn't good enough to like back up her mediocre yes. acting. Um, yes. Yeah, I'd say somewhere, yeah kind of unmemorable, almost like unmemorable, unmemorably bad. Yes. Like it's, it's not like you're like, Ugh, but you're also not like, oh, it's just kind of like, eh. yeah, I do. At least what I like about her is that you still, I feel like you so often see these movies where the whole cat, like 
the whole cast is so like impressed by the star because they're like so talented. <laughs> and in, in so many cases, you're just like, bitch, she's really not that good. But like when Christina Aguilera gets up there and sings and they're all like, you are the best singer I've ever heard in my life. You can, you you're truly it. like, you're right. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yep. it's, it's, it's not like in a, the two, it was 2004 classic raise your voice starring Hillary Duff, where like oh at God. a certain point they just like, it's just her voice is just a different person. And they're like, Ooh, you're so great. No, it's really, it's like, if, mm-hmm. if a nobody walked into your club and turned out to be Christina Aguilera, you'd probably be like, oh shit, I'd center the whole show around you too. Damn. Exactly. Yes, totally. Um, okay. So just moving on to some of our other categories and we don't have to spend too much time on all of these. Um, I know that we have already been talking for a while, but I do think the representation of women in this film is, is quite there's a lot of layers to it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's always it's always nice to see a film that's centered around women and really led by two women. Um, obviously, we've talked about there are a lot of male roles in this movie, but I do feel like the men are almost relegated to like what females are often relegated to I in terms agree. of their roles in this movie, which is kind of refreshing to see. Um, this movie is really really about the women. Um, I do think what kind of goes unexplored in this film and we've already kind of touched on this is that these women all do all work, you know, in a burlesque setting. Um, and they, there isn't really a lot of time devoted to the, the women's experience with any male patrons or just kind of the way that they're treated here. Um, and it does, it, you, you get the sense that they're very respected here, which I think is great to see, but also like we're kind of saying, I don't know, how representative that is of the actual burlesque culture. Um, you know, that's not something that we know a ton about. So I don't know if obviously if that is something that you know about, let us know to, you know, send us a message, but that's something that I would, I would kind of have loved to see explored a little bit more because I think in reality, like when you see the audience in this film, it's a mixture of like, it's like all, it's like men and women and they're all so happy to be there and they're like laughing and clapping and like, they're like, Oh, we love these girls so much. And I just don't, I don't know if how representative of what's really going on that is, um, or if burlesque shows are often populated just by men and if they respect the women as much as they seem to in this movie. Um, so I don't know. That was a very roundabout way of saying that. I hope that yeah, makes I would, I, sense. I think that makes sense. I would agree with that. I think it's, you know, it's simultaneously like a hit and a miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not being objectified in right in the traditional sense. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know. I mean, this is, I just think it's something interesting to think about. I don't know that it's necessarily doing anything bad. Um, but then, okay, well, queer representation, there's actually something to talk about in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't um, often happen for us. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see some gay baiting um <laughs> i it's it's hard to it's it's funny when like the the storyline involving a gay man falling in love with another gay man is like the least gay thing about the movie yep that's really good <laughs> <laughs> um, it's nice i mean it's a very superfluous plot line it's um yeah as i mentioned before it's i struggle with stanley Tucci's movie because like i love him in it but the whole time i'm like you you literally made this movie four years prior with right. Meryl Streep instead of Cher. So it's like, I'm constantly like, what, like what, was, yeah. what about this typecasting is um, in it for you? But yeah, it's, it's this nice, like sweet 
story. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's- yeah, it just gives like a little, like an extra little layer of, because I think the movie also like shows Christina Aguilera's character like shooting. It's not about like her becoming like the most famous person in the world. It's kind of like, she just like found this place where she belongs and she gets to sing and she gets to perform. And it's like, yeah. we're all here. We're like a family. Like we support each other. Like I feel like that's kind of almost like the message of the film. Right. And so yeah. it's like, just like adds like a little depth. It's like, Oh, like everyone deserves love. Like everyone's here. Yeah. Like it's not like yeah. a hammered over the head, like theme nor like moral of the film, but that's mm-hmm. kind of the, like, it's, it's a film that gets like tied up nicely in a bow. Like, as you mentioned, like suddenly like Kristen Bell's like dancing in the finale and like suddenly like, Oh, like it all worked out with air rights. It feels very like everything mm-hmm. is going to have a little bow in it. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that like every character, every like nice character in the movie, including the gay man gets, mm-hmm. gets its own like happily ever after it. And it is nice that it wasn't like an afterthought. I feel like a lot yeah. I can't really think of too many specifics, but I feel like there's like, um, there's definitely a trope in film and TV, like mo- more so in film where if there is a token gay character, like it'll be like literally the last scene. And they're like, be like, look over there. Like there's a cute boy who's not going to totally. have any lines. Like he's checking you out. Like, yes, go say hi. And they're like, Oh my God, I should go for it. And then it the movie ends. So totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's nice that there is, there is like some, it's, it's, some payoff it's not that he's just like the gay best friend and he's like acting like you know flamboyantly the whole movie but we never actually see him interacting with another gay man like of course like it's not like you see a lot you don't see like a scene of sean and mark or whoever the fuck he is like hooking up or anything like that but you but you do actually have the payoff of like showing the the fact that he yes is with another man which a lot of films don't do no Um, not all well there's 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 a trope of two different types of gay characters that, well, there's many more than that, but two that I'm thinking of that apply right now. <laughs> One, which is like the flamboyant token gay best friend who is never sexualized whatsoever. Just like, like is Damien. gay. Damien or like, I mean, I kid when I say like Ryan and high school musical, cause I know he's not actually supposed to be gay, but like Ryan in high school musical. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the, like the flip side, which is the gay character. That's like, like you would never know he was gay or like, you know, like that, or like she, like she's so hot. Like how can she be a lesbian? Like that type of character, right. which again does not exist to be sexualized, but instead they're like, we're normal. Cause we, we look straight and we act straight. So right. it's, it was nice. It's, it's always a, a win when you have a character that is not to, uh, that is like feels real and feels like it's actually a person. Like, yes, they may, they are Cher's best friend at a burlesque club. So like, like, yeah, <laughs> no, no one's discreet. Right. There's no mask. There's no mask for mask situation here with Stanley Tucci's character, but it's nice to see it actually like play out and feel like it was given some some care to, yes. even if it's kind of a throwaway plot line that would probably one be one of the first things on the cutting room floor, right? If you were yeah. to trim this down, like this honestly should have been like a BBC miniseries because it's like we needed all, more. Yeah, we de- <laughs> we definitely <laughs> needed more. Um. In terms of racial representation, there is Oof. so little. I mean, it is yeah. very, very poor. There is so little to talk about. Um, truly, the only named character of color that I can think of is Coco, who is played by Chelsea um, Trail. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. I mean, first of all, they named her Coco, which like yeah, that's bad. you didn't you didn't have to. Um, it's kind of the same <laughs> as like. In Moulin Rouge, I believe, like, the the one black man in the movie is named, like, 
lay chalk a lot or something. You know, it's like you do, you actually didn't have to do that. Um, and yeah, you yeah, thought she, you were onto something, but right, get onto something. <laughs> she has um, a few throwaway lines. I think the most egregious point is when they're at. Um, speaking of Stanley Tucci's character, when they're at George's wedding and they're looking over at the DJ and uh, Coco thinks that the DJ is checking her out and his character, Stanley Tucci says, um, maybe he's cuckoo, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, so, you know, that's something that we probably didn't need, I guess, implying like, oh, maybe he's like into black women, but it turns out he's actually into Stanley Tucci, but it's just like, you know, kind of, this disparaging and quite stereotypical. I mean, it's, it's the classic tokenization, um, I would say. And yeah, there's, there are, you know, there are a few dancers of color among the cast, but we don't know literally anything about them. Um, it's basically just an all white cast. So really, really bad, bad grade on that one. Yep. That is a whopping fail. Amazing. And then kind of the last point to discuss is um, the fashion. So I would say uh, mostly, mostly the wigs. Um, I, I, please take it away. <laughs> yeah. Who, who did Christina Aguilera piss off right. in the wardrobe department who was like, let's get, let's get like four wigs, mm-hmm. sew them together, yep. throw a bang clip on them. Yes. And they're like, there you go. Like mm-hmm. she is, homegirl is in full drag like yeah. full rupaul's drag race fantasy mm-hmm. um because sometimes the bangs come out right there's one or two scenes where she's weirdly without bangs still mm-hmm. in a wig hairline mm-hmm. very visible right well i'm just wondering who yes who in the wardrobe department decided that no woman in this film should be allowed to have their natural hair showing like it truly was like <laughs> it's like all of these women probably have beautiful hair that you could just style, but it's, well, it's, (laughs) there is something to be said about like, I feel, I feel like sometimes wigs are used. I don't even know if it's like a budget thing, but it's definitely like a, it's a consistency and like the, yeah, the ease of being able to like you style the wig and you put the wig on, you take the wig off and then you don't, it's, it's, I think it's like, Mm-hmm. easier and maybe it was for a consistent look because they were like okay if if christina aguilera is in this mop top we got to give everyone i'm sure right. Cheryl probably has her contract that she only wears wigs right and i'm sure I think kristen bell like, would not dye her hair brown no that was that was a full-on wig and i Obviously. and i think i'm correct in that they really wanted to differentiate i think especially between ali and nikki but i think between Chris, uh, ali and the other girls it's like she's different but mm-hmm. somehow that means she's blonde Right, and then because Julian Julian Huff is also definitely wearing a brunette wig. Definitely wearing a brunette wig. I guess Tina Agron is not wearing a wig, but she could mm-hmm. not be in the film less if she tried. Couldn't, she couldn't be. <laughs> I it's every every time I watch the movie, like if I if it's been enough time where I haven't like fully like remembered it, I always mm-hmm. think that she's in more of it because I remember being like, oh, like she was she wasn't like famous famous at the time, but I mean, Glee was pretty big in 2010. That was kind mm-hmm. of like its peak, um, right? And so yeah. I remember I th- keep thinking, oh, she's in like a couple scenes. It's like, nope, we see like her picture once or twice. And then she literally comes through like a tornado for all of 27 seconds. Right. And she's just completely villainized. I mean, yeah, that's... she's in, in hysterics being like the crazy, the crazy fiance, even though like he's the one who's like clearly like cheating on her. 
Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something we didn't talk about with representation of women, but I mean, as much as it's a film that's about like unity and family and like accepting you as you are, it's also a film about pitting women against women a lot. Um, we, I think you do have the, there is a really nice relationship between the Shara character and the Christina Aguilera, Aguilera character. Um, especially in that scene where Cher, you know, helps her with her makeup. And then she's, as you would say, then she's in full drag. Um, but what were we talking about? Wigs? <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of fashion, there's not really a whole lot else to discuss because it's really, you really only see them usually at the club right. or like coming home from the club or on their way to the club. Otherwise it's kind of just like boring streetwear. I yeah. mean, I don't know. I don't know why Cam, uh, Gigapet is in like weird vests and eyeliner and like top hats. And then is like, right. Like, how she thinks he's gay. And like, which is, on, you know what? Actually a really fair assumption. I would say on yeah. Christina's part. <laughs> yeah, don't blame her for that. Yeah. I feel um, that the fashion is, is, I mean, 2010 was not known for its no. peak fashion, but it's uh, the stage looks, I think actually are really good. Like they have some mm-hmm. like pretty, killer outfits up there but then it's a lot of just like leggings and long tight shirts that christina aguilera Aguilera wears off the stage yep um yeah wow there's so much to cover here but uh i think before we go today what i would love to ask you is actually what what would you say is your favorite musical number in this movie? Ooh, I really like the finale. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so funny because of the context. Mm-hmm. And it's also just like, it is actually catchy. I mean, I don't know how he wrote that on his like piano, like weirdly. Right. Um, I like that one. I really like express. Right. Yep. The one that's like really, like really unnecessarily thrown in. Cause they were like, we just need another dance number. Yep. Um, and just, and Okay, so I like all the songs. Um, I also really like the her opening cover of um, "Something's Got to Hold on Me." Mm-hmm. That one's fun. I mean, yes. as as anything that Christina Aguilera sings in the whole movie is like, yeah, oh, a it's beautiful amazing. earworm. Yeah, I mean the 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 ballad that she sings when she and Jack uh, finally get together, it's stunning. stunning. It's it's stunning. I mean, yeah, I would say my, the. <laughs> A number that I really love, it, just because I think it's hilarious, is the one where Kristen Bell sings about her dentist um, that she's fucking, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And Kristen Bell's not singing anything, to be clear, but she is lip syncing her heart out. Um, and that's one that really gets me kind of every time. To Megan Mullally, I'm pretty sure. That's pretty sure and that's why, a number. <laughs> and why wouldn't it be? <laughs> um, I would like to point out that it, the film did was nominated for three Golden Globes, uh, mm-hmm. Best Motion Picture and Comedy, and twice for Best Original Song, and it did win for Cher's oh, wow. uh, "You Haven't Seen the Last of Me." You know what? <laughs> if I think it would have probably been illegal to not give Cher the Golden Globe for that song, but I'm really proud, nonetheless. Yeah, I I struggle with ballads in a movie like in a movie like this because it's like, yes, like it's fun and. I mean, Cher's is fun and campy and like Christina's is like really like weepy and dramatic. Mm-hmm. Like still beautiful, but it was like, it's just so padded. Like the film mm-hmm. is so like, because the, because the songs don't further the plot, 
when they're there, it's like they're there just for fun. But there's yeah. like one or two many songs in each category mm-hmm. of like stage numbers or ballads, mm-hmm. but somehow yet also not enough music. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it should have been all music or a lot less. Um, yeah, it's wow. Well, because because the, the plot of the movie is like, yeah, it's like it's like, what is the goal? Like, honestly, like, what is the goal of the movie? Is the goal to have to win the club back? Is the goal for right her to get the gig to be, like, the star of the show? Is the goal mm-hmm. for Tess to, like, pass the baton? It's really unclear. Yeah. Well, that's... For that's a two-hour an- film. Yeah, that's, that's another thing that is just, like, just to close this out, I think one of the most absurd parts of this movie is just the, the fact that the premise hinges on the fact that all Christina Aguilera wants in life is to be the star of this small burlesque club on the outskirts of LA. Like, mm-hmm. and, and again, like not, not to be disparaging to, to anyone who chooses this as a career, but like as a, as a premise for this movie, as someone who like moves to LA because she, she wants it all. She has these dreams and she's going to achieve them. She, stumbles into a burlesque bar on her first day there and is like this, this is, is it everything so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no tino shade no pink lemonade but um right. you know it's the stakes are pretty low pretty low in the, in the grand sch- in the grand scheme of things and i'm saying this as you know I, I work in the performing arts we both come from performing arts background you know we we have many friends with you have achieved success and in their own rights. And, you know, Hmm. as, as we both, and like, I I say this coming from someone who works primarily in contemporary dance where it's like the stand, like the standard of like what is famous and like what is like making it is like very, very different than someone who's like trying to be on Broadway versus trying to be, um, you know, in, in movies or in music. So it's like, and, and same thing, like you could say, like, if you're a singer songwriter, that's very different than if you're trying to become a pop star, but to, to focus around, it wasn't because if it would make more sense if she was focused on like, I want to become a burlesque dancer. Like this is the hottest club in New York. I mean, right. in, in Los Angeles, like this is the pinnacle. Like this is everyone who makes it comes out of this club. Yes. But instead she's literally just yes. like a Craigslist ad. She's like, Oh, this looks fun. And just like happens to stumble on share. Yes. It like it truly a, a failing burlesque club that is a about to go bankrupt. Everyone who works there is seemingly miserable. And she's like, yep. this is it. <laughs> and, and maybe would have like, and it, and it could have made a little more sense. if like the plot of the film. I mean, it's a very stereotypical plot, but it's like, so, okay. So she like finds her, her family in the burlesque club, but then like a music agent comes by and hears yes. her singing and then is like, wants to take her on a world tour and like blah, blah, blah. And like, so, like yes. she's like making it and she's like, wait, it's not about being famous. It's about like doing what I love. And this is what I love. Like, yes. That would have made more sense. Wow. I mean, burlesque too, anyone? Yeah. You just rewrote burlesque so much better than what the actual movie was about. Um, but, air but, but, but air rights. Um, I think we can't stress enough air rights. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so you're, it's it's simultaneously like the plot of like a low budget like independent movie that debuts at the Cannes Film Festival that yep. like it is about like the struggles of like the working class trying to uphold like a failing performing arts business, yes. and then also like a big outlandish movie musical that's supposed to like catapult Christina Aguilera to the likes of like Madonna and like getting a Golden yep. Globe nomination for her performance. That's a really really good way to sum it up um thank you 
Is there any? Thank you for coming else? to my TED talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, as, as I <laughs> start writing my dissertation on this Criterion Collection film. Is there anything else that you feel you need to say about burlesque? Um, just if you've if you've watched it, it's and you want to watch it again, do it. It's on Netflix. If you've never seen it, do yourself a favor and watch it. I mean, really? it's, it kind of sucks. Like it's not a great movie. But also um, rewatching, I re- I just rewatched it and it was such an enjoyable experience. Oh, like it's super it's enjoyable. So fun to watch. <laughs> it's so fun. And if you go in with the mentality that like, it's just a two hour romp and you can laugh at it yeah. and like, just like enjoy yourself, like open a bottle of wine, mm-hmm. maybe two, maybe, maybe three. Right. Of course. <laughs> I mean, the time before I watched, I mean, let's be honest. When I watched it on my birthday, I was day drinking. And the time before I watched it, I think it was when you, you were at my apartment and we were all yes. day drinking. So it's, it's yep. that kind of film, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's just legendary and I, I love it. And it's, it's a good comfort film. Yeah. I would, um, I would, I would literally recommend it to anyone. Like maybe truly. not like a straight man, but mm-hmm. um, if right. you, but we, we would never talk to one of those. Yeah. I was going to say, I haven't <laughs> spoken to a straight man um, in decades. Truly. Not willingly. Right. Ooh. Of course. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that we, we're, we're able to do this. Um, hopefully this recording, you know, went through cause we did just talk for over an hour and, and if it doesn't work out, like that's really going to suck. But regardless, <laughs> I feel like we really enjoyed talking about this movie. Um, and I'm, I feel like this was the perfect time to do this because again, <laughs> this doesn't really fit into our criteria. Isn't specifically really a teen movie and did come out in 2010, but like we had to do it. So yeah. Yeah. And we're, um, depending on how this recording goes and whatnot, you know, we are optimistic that we can hopefully resume some regular episodes, obviously given everything that's going on in uh, amidst this literal global pandemic that we are all involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't promise that we can drop episodes weekly, but right. we hope to, you know, stay tuned. Um, if you don't already, please follow us on Instagram um, and on Twitter at teen spirit pod, as well as um, a, What's our email address? Teenspiritpod at gmail.com. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I'm curious if if you would like to send us a message. I think we're really curious to know if people are still listening to podcasts right now. Um, I know that I li- I've been listening to a lot less podcasts just because I'm not commuting. And I know a lot of mm-hmm. people aren't commuting. And that's a time when a lot of people use that time to, to listen to podcasts. So just curious what your guys' habits are right now. And if you would even be interested in us dropping more episodes or if you feel like you don't even have time to listen right now, um, whatever you're feeling would love to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram or send us a, an email. Um, but yeah, we, we're, we so appreciate you guys listening and be and, and for your patience with us. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a crazy time right now. So do something nice for yourself today. Yeah. You know, it's important. I think with ever, everything in terms of physical health, as well as mm-hmm. mental health, um, just take care of yourself. We love you guys. And we hope we'll, as please know that as soon as we are able to give you new episodes, we will, because we, we've missed it. I, yeah. you know, I can't speak for Bailey, but I've missed it. Really, really. Good. Um, and, you know, we're going to get through this and um, yeah. we're just going to come out with a lot of extra weight on our bodies from all this uh, shit we're well, eating yeah. and drinking. 
with that too. I was, I was going to say we're going to come up with a thick skin, but literally thick. Yep. Keyword thick. Well, thick. Either um, way, we're coming out of this thick. Yeah, down with the thickness. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, as always. Oh, as always. You can also rate, review, and subscribe if you want. Oh, yeah, if you want to do that. That's a, that's a cool thing to do. And if, you know, you are no longer subscribed because you're tired of getting reminders that you need that your podcasts haven't listened to, you know, maybe throw us a resubscribe and maybe we'll be <laughs> back a little more. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Bye, Bye bitches. bitches.